Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. Some listeners may think it's pretty good. So, enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> Hi guys, welcome to episode 51 of Slaughter. Uh, excuse my voice, I've been very ill. But as long as you can understand me, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry, Americans. <laughs> I'm going to tell the story of Angus Sinclair. I would bet money on you not knowing who that was. I've never heard that name before. It sounds like the name of like a bingo caller. <laughs> Yeah, it does actually. Or a red coat at Butlins. Hi, I'm Angus Sinclair. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a fan dabby dozy day. Like blonde styled hair, like stiff. Highlighted t-shirt. Yeah. He's also known for the world's end murders, but um, he's done a lot more than that by most accounts. So he was born in a maternity hospital in Glasgow in 1945. He just missed the war by a month. I love the like distinction of a maternity hospital well it, it, <laughs> they got it, to the right one it specifically said an old-fashioned maternity hospital like it's a bit of a dig at the fact they've all closed down because you just lumped oh, in with the political the general public now aren't you um he was the second of three children and his parents were called angus sinclair and um mamie which is a mamie mamie Mimi, 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 M A I M I E, Mimi. Um, they were pretty poor, but a lot of families were in the forties. Um, and it was made worse by in nineteen forty nine, uh, Angus Sinclair Senior was diagnosed with leukemia, and he gradually died from this. So, his no. mother spent a lot of time sort of nursing him in his later years. Now Sinclair went to school opposite his house handy convenient yeah and uh he was the smallest boy in his class so his dad's got the same name as him and he's short he's destined to be a murderer um his father also died when he was quite young when he reached puberty mamie has spoken out about how sinclair began to change quite a lot that's and- what happens someone needs to get <laughs> mamie a book about the changes that happen in puberty well he became obsessed his with sex it's so different yes that's what happens <laughs> yeah he will. he's a horny little bugger he's gonna go he's gonna sweat <laughs> too like it doesn't mean the devil's trying to creep out of his armpits well he started to like violence as well but to be fair that's sort of generic as well Man, Honestly, you ask a teenager to write a story in school during puberty, then it's either going to be self-harm or a murder. Do you still have emo kids? What are the emo kids calling themselves these days? Um, Or are they still saying emo? They're not saying emo. What are they saying? Um, I don't know. I think I'm out of it now like i don't like who the what what's the subculture like we used to be the grebs then there's the emos who are they who are you Uh, children i know that sort of chavs are roadmen the roadman i'm a roadman but i don't know what the emos are now i'm gonna find out i'm gonna ask my kids yeah they don't know they're so behind like (laughs) one of the like they're they keep like mentioning memes that are like five years old. Oh, God. Like, did you only just get YouTube? God. <laughs> um, so, uh, Sinclair was pretty unhappy at school. He was picked on for being short and he was basically ignored by girls because no one likes a short man. Um, and he also wasn't very. You are punching that hard <laughs> today. Like, I'm not biting. 
Well, you're usually the short jokes. I am. I'm usually I'm all over the short men, mainly because before I was constantly having to swipe left on short men, and now I'm like at peace with it. <laughs> it's fine. Um, live and let live. <laughs> Um, so he also wasn't very bright, so he didn't have a lot going for him. Uh, he left school pretty young and he got a job as a van boy, um, which I don't know what that involves. Just like running out. Nothing good. Who has a van? Pedos. Yeah. Men that sell porn. Yeah. Men that rape. Ice cream men. Yeah. That's the best I had an ice scenario. cream woman today who was like, you can't have any red sauce because it's running out. I was like... Well, it hasn't run out. I was like, isn't your job to sell it? Like, don't you want it to run out? Surely that's a good news story for you. We ran out of stuff. Also, what, who, why should someone two, two ice creams down from me get the red yeah, sauce over like, me? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me the red sauce. Yeah. Um. So shortly after he left school, he sexually assaulted an eight-year-old girl. <gasps> Um, and he was arrested and charged with lewd and libidinous practices, which no one knows what it means. That doesn't sound that bad, considering he sexually assaulted a child. Um, well, I think the idea, like, they just thought, oh, well, he's young, and um, they sort of let him go. But in 1961... Um, he was home alone and he saw a young girl called Catherine Rehill, age eight, skipping past his house. I mean, Sed- I skipping seductively. <laughs> People don't skip though. That's like a. Not for long periods of time. Down the road. I would love it if I just saw like a, a man in a suit with a briefcase. Just, I'm just skipping. Just thought I'd skip today. Is it faster? Yeah, it's definitely faster. You're basically flying. Is it? Does it burn up more calories? Must do. So he went out and he gave her some money to go to the shop um, to get him something. And when she came back, he pulled her into the flat um, and he beat her. And She's to, just done you a favour. Yeah. So that makes it worse. To like try, she helped you out. Yeah. Yeah. She said, it's like with Ted Bundy where it's like, can you help me with this boat? Yeah, I can. Right. I'm going to murder you then. Yeah, like, like, murder the, the ones who said no. Yeah. Um, so well, don't murder anyone, but well, yeah, if you could, like, at least have some sort of righteous indignation about it. Yeah. So, um, crush the bueno <laughs> that she went to fetch. Um, so, to try and get away with this, he put her body out in the street, um, still alive at this point. And two women on the way to bingo found her, wrecked their night. And um, he, they shouted, oh my God, there's a girl out here, someone help. And he oh, came out, out to, to help. help. And he uh. phoned the ambulance and he said, there's a young girl here and she's fallen down the stairs. As if they're going to go, oh, they well, used- this bloke reckons she's fallen down the stairs. Don't do any, don't do any analysis. Because we've had it from the, the horse's mouth now. Well, if he knew that she'd fallen downstairs, why was he inside his own house not looking at her? Well, I guess he'd co- he'd come out and, and be like, oh, she must have fallen down the stairs. As if the police aren't going to... She fell down the stairs and right out onto the street. The only way <laughs> that happened is if he was holding open the front door as she rolled onto the pavement. No, I think like the stairs outside, the outdoor stairs. See, outdoor stairs, I would refer to as steps. <laughs> well. A subtle but important difference for clarity. Well, I think he said, to be fair, she'd fallen down a stairwell. Which That's is a whole even new worse. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what is a stairwell? That's the hole down the middle of the stairs. What? what? Like if you've got spiralling stairs. Oh, really? And then you can look down from the top to the bottom. That's the stairwell. Oh, right. Not even hitting any steps. So she died on the way to the hospital. So oh. he's murdered one little girl now. A murder investigation was launched and Sinclair just disappeared. He just ran off. Um, so he was arrested and charged the next day when they found him. And he was only 16 at this point. And his mother... God, 16. 16. His mother said that he kept asking, why did I do it? And that he was really sorry and he pleaded guilty to the murder. And due to his age and the fact he'd killed her and then behaved so normally, basically they said, well, he's he's just acted like nothing's happened, which means that he must be messed up. Broadmoor, Broadmoor. They, they, they thought he can't be fully responsible and gave him a shorter sentence. They went, because he's being really weird, because he's being really normal about it, he must be weird, which means we should feel sorry for him. 
which is fuzzy logic. Um, so he got 10 years for that murder and then he was out. So 26 years old, he's out again, living his life. He was given the job as a painter in um, prison. So he learned a trade. And learned when- <laughs> painting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not that hard, is it? Get a brush. <laughs> to, be, to be fair, when I've hired a painter, like they've done it quick, like good and quick. That's difficult. But you can be, you could get a job as a painter without learning the trade. <laughs> I guess you've got to know all the, how to mix the paint. That's true. With the little mixing stick. Yeah. Um, My dad has had the same mixing stick for like 25 years. Really? It's like three inches thick yeah, with paint. It's like, if you start, the paint part. If you start peeling it back, it's like a time capsule of our <laughs> family's life. Like, oh, and there's that magnolia from 96. <laughs> he got a job as a painter in Edinburgh and his mum still thought he was brilliant. She stood by him the whole time he was in thought prison. Thought he was brilliant? She thought, yeah, she... Just she visited him in prison. She thought he was great, and after he was out, he re- she really took his side. But his older brother basically disowned him and said he killed a child. You murdered a little girl. I want nothing to do with you. Which after he'd already be- like they knew that he had had the lewd yeah the sexual charge assault. as well yeah. So it's not like whoops, I accidentally killed this girl. It's like this is the second time you've been fucking around with small girls. Yeah, basically. So Sinclair met Sarah Hamilton, who was a student nurse aged 20 after he was out of prison and they got married. And at the time when they were married, Sarah had no idea about Sinclair's past and this this assault and this murder. And he did tell her a few years into the marriage, but by then she kind of was like, well, kind of like... How did he explain the gaps in his CV? I was painting he was technically painting, just in prison. That's true. So I guess that's mainly, like, LinkedIn is basically useless. What is unless, LinkedIn? Because I'm on it and I never signed up Unless for you it. want to find out if anyone's had a stint in prison. Like, why does their LinkedIn have a gap <laughs> for 10 years? Who's updating LinkedIn? Because I keep getting messages saying, someone's friended you on LinkedIn. I never joined. Maybe it's, maybe it's that teaching doesn't need LinkedIn and other people do. I don't it. understand that. I think I signed up to LinkedIn specifically during like an internet stalking frenzy of a guy <laughs> I was dating. And like, I've gone through the Facebook, done the Twitter, done the Instagram. Oh, Apparently he's got a LinkedIn. I can't view it unless I've got an account. So I no, think I ridiculous. made a fake LinkedIn account just so I could view. <laughs> just so I could view this guy. <laughs> just as an aside to the LinkedIn story, the fake name that I did use was my little sister's. <laughs> so I do get emails of people that know my sister in real life trying to add her on LinkedIn. <laughs> but really it's me with the fake account. <laughs> Weird. I'm gonna get caught out. <laughs> he so he told her that he'd killed a young girl and gone to prison for it. So she was upset, but she believed it was a mistake and um, that he'd changed and that he was actually never violent in their marriage. So she was sort of she just went okay. Um, well, he's never killed a child while I've known him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's obviously kicked the habit. So they had kicked a- the habit right down the stairwell. <laughs> Good one. (laughs) (laughs) So they had a baby, a little boy called Gary, thank God. Um, And they all seemed very happy and he worked hard and Sarah and Mamie were quite close. So the mother-in-law of Sarah and um, she helped with the baby a lot while he went to work. Um, But Sinclair was having multiple affairs behind Sarah's back and Sarah would find out. And he'd say, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm never going to do it again. I promise. And he'd just go off and do it again. So he basically, he just apologised so he did. Time. So he did want to fuck older women then? Yeah, yeah. He wasn't like exclusive paedophile. No, he's... Um, yeah, it's a bit of a weird one because a lot of his victims, you'll see, they're not all children. So maybe those first two were just because it was easy. But then he goes sort of back to the kids, so... All this time, Sinclair hadn't committed any known crimes. Presumably the affairs he was having was consensual. I I think it's pretty possible he could have been doing stuff that he wasn't convicted for. Um, June 11th of 1977 is when he started a series of crimes. Now, not all... He's only been convicted of a couple of these. I'm going to read through quite a few, but they're 
the presumption is that so, at least some of these were him and it's likely because they were all committed near where he lived in a similar way and it sort of follows his tracks throughout the country. Right. So Francis Barker, age 37, got out of a taxi outside her flat and literally from walking from her the taxi to her flat in Glasgow, she was taken. Um, so she was missing for 16 days and her body was found gagged and stripped in Lover's Lane with the irony there. Um, and that was about a 45-minute drive from Glasgow to get to Lover's Lane, or it is now. So she she was murdered, but it's never been found who killed her. August the 5th, so a couple of months later, 1977, Anna Keeney left a pub called the Hurdy Gurdy in Glasgow. And she'd been out with a friend, Wilma. And um, they'd been chatting to two men. And Anna left with the man that she'd been talking to and said to him, right, I'm going to go get a taxi. And she'd gone off. And he said that he'd heard a car brakes and assumed that maybe, because I think it was really quiet, that she'd been picked up by a taxi or she'd loaned someone and got in the car with them. And she, her, she'd disappeared and her body wasn't found for two years. Um, she'd been sort of put on a remote field. Um, she'd been tied by the ankles and gagged and the body had been covered in soil. So she was found by some farmers. October the 1st, Hilda McCauley, age 36. She was a mother of two. She left a ballroom in Glasgow. And her body was found the next day half naked and beaten. And she was found by blackberry pickers. And then, still in October, two. Fr- this is the one that he is really well known for. This is the World's End Murders. So the other ones, it's suspected that he committed those yeah. three, but this one is his. Yeah. So two friends, Christine Edie and Helen Scott, aged only 17, left the World's End pub in Glasgow. Oh, sorry, in Edinburgh. Um, they'd been out with two other friends, Um and they came out of the pub and Sinclair offered them a lift home and they accepted. Very sort of Fred and Rose West type. And their bodies were found six miles apart from each other by walkers the next day. And because that's so similar to some of the others, it's thought that it's pretty likely he'd just offered all these women lifts and he'd done all of these murders. Seven weeks later, Agnes Cooley, aged 23, who's a children's nurse, went out to a club with her friend Gina, and she left at midnight and her body was found two days later and she'd been stabbed 26 times. So slightly different method of murder. We don't know if it was him. Change is as good as arrest. But it's obviously like preying on women. I mean, you're coming out... Women who are on their own, they've come out of somewhere where they've been drinking. People were a little bit more trusting in terms of having lifts and... People, if someone's local then I trust them that kind of thing he might have even known some of these people because they lived around the corner from him they might have recognised him mm. and um, he's he's obviously got a method that really works for him and it's dead easy but it was said that these women weren't off the tits like they were they were pretty yeah they had a couple of drinks but they weren't yeah they knew they what they were drunk. doing yeah um, but the, these I murders weren't that. linked together either because of the different methods of killing and um, being found in different places, the police didn't necessarily say these must be the same people. And actually the the bonds that had tied their hands together were done in different knots. So it's assumed that someone who was just doing a quick knot around someone's hands would use the same knot every time. So it could be different people. It could be It might have been more killer. helpful for them to have just said it's a serial killer because then women might have been a bit more... Careful. Yeah, about accepting this from strangers. Yeah. You know, if they said, like, there's, okay, there's a serial killer, we think's on the loose, whether they thought that it was one person or not, that might have, for the general public, might have yeah, helped true. avoid some murders. So the next year, November 1978, Mary Gallagher, um, aged 17 again, left home to meet two friends. So it's not even leaving a pub or anything, just walking to a friend's house. She was strangled, she was raped, and her throat was cut three times. And her body was found by a wall in Glasgow. And I think by this point, he was just getting complacent. He was like, why drive miles? I'm just going to dump her here. No one's catching me anyway. Yeah, they're not finding anything. And for good reason. Like, they didn't find... They didn't link him to any of these murders 
for ages. There was low DLA evidence because it was so early on. Um, He was known to the police for muggings and attacking a man with a hammer or something and also tax evasion. But he wasn't linked to these murders because there was no, no one had seen him. There's no evidence. He got six months in prison in 1979 for owning a gun and there were no murders that were carried out in this way while he was in prison. Mm. In 1982... There was a series of attempted attacks and a number of sexual assaults on young girls and rapes. And they happened in an area where um, Sinclair had had moved to with Sarah in Glasgow. So they'd moved house after he came out of prison and then these sexual assaults started happening in this area. Right. So the girls said the man smelled of terps. I remember he... He's a painter. He's a painter. And that... Like, you, that gets on your clothes for, forever. Yes. Um, one girl identified him from a photo as the attacker. So She identified him from his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> so he was charged with three rapes and nine sexual assaults of girls aged 6 to 14. Whoa. So he's done these murders and he's gone back to just abusing young children. Like, he's a fucked up piece of shit. Um, and he admitted to the crimes... Um, to the police and to his wife saying he'd lost count of how many assaults and rapes he'd committed and that there were tons more than that Um, and he was sent to prison with a life sentence now really it was unusual for someone to go to prison for rape with a a life sentence but because he'd done so many and he'd, he'd admitted to it they were like just fucking lock him away um and it wasn't until 2001 so this was years later that DNA profiling was advanced enough to start to link Sinclair to any of the murders. So Mary Gallagher, um, some DNA was taken from her and a swab that he'd willingly given the first time when they were looking at the Will Dunn murders were matched and he was convicted of this murder. So he was given extra, another, I think, extra time for that, but obviously he was already in prison for a yeah. life sentence. But that could have been 25 years. Yeah. So it's added on to that. Then in 2007, 30 years after Christine and Helen had been killed. So that makes me think, if it waited till 2001, that it wasn't until he he must have been due to be released for that 25 years. And they thought, yeah. right, we'll best start now looking at his DNA to see if we can keep him in yeah, there. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, so 2007, Sinclair was put on trial for the murders of the two girls uh, at the World's End pub. Um, but he was acquitted because the judge ruled there was no case. And what had happened was that the prosecution hadn't brought quite vital forensic evidence to trial. And they basically were like, well, there's no case here. So according to Double Jeopardy rules, have you heard of this? Yes. That he couldn't you go can't on trial be tried for, for again. it again. Yeah. If he was acquitted, that's it. So... Scotland actually changed its rules on double jeopardy, partly due to this case, because they wanted to be able to put him on trial for these horrific crimes. And um, it ruled that there were reasons why you could be tried again, so that's new evidence, or someone had tried to stop the passage of justice. They said that there was new forensic evidence that hadn't been previously presented, and so he was tried again. And that was in October 2014, and Sinclair was found guilty of the murders. So he w- he got away with it for years, but thankfully he got convicted of these, these sexual assaults. But the amount he was able to do before being put away, considering that everyone... Li- like, he had those charges when he was a child. And then he just... And for him to not even remember up. the number of rapes that he's committed. Yeah. Like, how casual is that? He's just, he's raping all of the time because he can't even be bothered to remember them. They're not significant yeah. enough for him to know just when they were, where routine. they were. And that obviously we've talked about the pattern of the women being murdered, but not a pattern of rapes necessarily. Like, were they being reported? Were women able to feel that they could say anything? Were well, they if taken it's children seriously? as well, I mean, it's, they probably were too scared but that's the number of lives ruined by him is catastrophic just huge huge numbers which is why i was really surprised that i hadn't heard of him because of these i think because he's only been convicted of two three sorry murders it it 
you don't realise how many he probably did. So in July 2017, it was reported that he was basically on his deathbed and police were sort of urging him, saying, look, just tell us about the other killings so we can solve these cases for these people. You know, people have lost family members. You're going to die. You're never going to leave prison. Just be honest now. And I wish they fucking would. But he's just not bothered. He doesn't give a shit. Or you, you just can't remember. But he's got, like, three nurses caring for him every day. I, mean, I just don't know what it says about humanity that we can set up a system where we'll spend thousands of pounds caring for that, that kind of person. I don't know if it makes us a good race or a bad race. Well, you can't start judging and say, like, who's worthy of yeah, medical care. I know. Because then once you open it up to, okay, there's criteria for whether you deserve care or not, that's open to abuse, okay. isn't it? Someone just like nudge the switch. Whoops. Or just like... I'm surprised that he's still going. Yeah, so there's no no reports. Uh, it's been nearly a year since that. So he's been on his deathbed for a bloody long time. Sorry about die. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. So, in contrast, um, I'm going to bring you a really light hearted, fun murder. <laughs> when no one dies and they, At a fairground. they skip along the street happily. <laughs> this one. Um, Um, The majority of research comes from a book called simply A Famous Nottingham Murder by Stephen Morris, who I think... Well, the murder was by Stephen Morris or the book was by... He's the author of the book. Or both. I think he's self-published. It's very... um, Shit. Not shit. (laughs) Informal in style. Oh, okay. Like, it's quite... Collo- Did you just find it on a bus? <laughs> it was written, a notepad on a bus. It was written in shit on the walls of a Nottingham toilet. Um, <laughs> no, it's a book. So, I'm going to start with um, the birth of a lady who would come to be known as Dorothea Nancy Waddingham. But she had many variations on her name throughout her life, and this caused tons of confusion uh, when it came to investigations and inquiries later, because they, for a long time they weren't sure who the hell she was. On her birth certificate from 1901, she was simply Anne Waddingham. 
and her mother was listed as being a domestic servant and her father as a coal miner. So a lot of accounts refer to her early life in Hucknall, where she grew up on a small farm. Um, And then later it's thought that some accounts say that her father was a farmer, even though her birth certificate said not. Um, She did attend school until her early teenage years, when she would have been old enough to go out and work. By this time, she dropped the Anne and was using the names Dorothy and Nancy, which was likely... It's so weird. My I didn't know until my grand died recently. I was like, I didn't even know her real fucking name. She was using a different name the whole life. <laughs> my middle name is named after her. And that's not her real name? It's not even a real name. Is it her middle name? Yeah. At least it's some... That's funny that you're named after her, not her like, real name. I was like, who the fuck is this on the, like, do the order of service? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. My mum's done that. She was just like, I'm just going to be called by a different name. Yeah, it's weird. Um, but I think it's that she was trying to make herself seem less common. And I think she was a bit ashamed of her origins and wanted to climb socially. So, And the Anne just wasn't cutting it. So her first job was at a hosiery works. I'll make it tires. Well, yeah. And Stockings. I, I reckon she'd have been the one who was pinpricking all of the tights that they ladder the first time you put them on <laughs> and then you have to buy hundreds of pairs just to be able to go out yeah i mean i'm never wear if i'm wearing tights i'm always wearing minimum two pairs on top of each other <laughs> i can't keep throwing them away every time they get laddered so i just wear two pairs on top and like the ladders will sort of no way. not match up i so never you- thought of that so you can't tell. Yeah. Like, you're always covered. It's like a tungsten vagina. Like there's like 10 layers of like solid <laughs> elastane protecting you. So from there, she then began to work as a private nurse for a Mrs. Underwood in Ilkinston. So sort of just a live-in carer. She was totally unqualified for it. Um, so it's thought that she was probably just... Um, un- well, I don't know, unless she was helping her with hosiery-related issues. <laughs> Just putting a bit of clear nail varnish on the ladders. Yeah. Well, this colon must be like a pair of tights. <laughs> if you stretch it out enough, it'll do the job. And then at around 19 years old, it seems that she had some sort of falling out with her parents and she ran away to Burton-on-Trent, which is about half an hour away. Something like that. What, from Ilkeston? Yeah, maybe further. And there she went to the workhouse infirmary. So the workhouse would have been a place for people classed as paupers who couldn't, they maybe were in debt and couldn't pay them off, basically destitute. It was like the early welfare system. So rather than just having homeless people on the streets, they'd be sent to the workhouse and that's where you lived and you would work and you'd be sort of class. they'd be called an inmate. Yeah, like it sounds like a good socialist idea, but it's more like a labor camp. They would children were doing jobs that would probably gonna kill them yeah. most of the time and it you wouldn't have really been able to get out of there once you were in yeah because how are you gonna save enough money so in the same vein the infirmaries that they had um were initially pretty shitty as well they were often just run by a female inmate of the workhouse so who also had no medical knowledge and was just oh, trying to take care of people who were injured maybe in machinery and things like that um, and they often lacked the basic literacy skills to even read the medicine bottles. Oh, God. Lucky dip. Yeah. But You're then- having the yellow ones today. <laughs> It'll be fine. Get them down. <laughs> She's <yeah>. dead. <laughs> but um, with people like Florence Nightingale, big reforms were made. And so by the time Nancy was working there in the 1920s, they would have had at least one member of trained staff in charge a trained nurse in charge and they would start to admit non-workhouse inmates to those hospitals because before this was pre-NHS so they couldn't afford if you couldn't afford medical care the workhouse ward would take you in and would see you so um I feel like Florence Nightingale did a lot of good stuff that we've essentially just forgotten now they didn't she clean like she said if you clean beds People don't die. They're not scrubbing beds in hospitals now. I went, I visited someone in hospital. There's a shit stain on a corridor oh, for about a week. Oh. Like, they're not cleaning stuff like Florence Nightingale said to clean it. And if they did, everyone would live a lot longer. They are washing their hands. 
<laughs> using hand sanitizer. Yeah. It's like lazy man's washing. Um, but it definitely did form part of the NHS that we have now. When it became an organisation in the 40s, a lot of the workhouse properties were bought by the NHS. So a lot of the older buildings would have been old workhouse infirmaries. So care there was still really basic. Um, Nancy would have had some understanding of like common ailments, but she would have had no technical knowledge. She wouldn't have been able to do. They couldn't Google it like the doctors do now. But I sound so anti NHS. I I do like the NHS. I'm not. Um, Save the NHS. She must have really enjoyed this kind of work, though. I think it did give the opportunity to move up slightly more in society. You were mingling with. She could meet doctors and. Um, she was in a position of responsibility, well respected, but she didn't really seem to have the ability to train as to qualify as a nurse because she would have done it. Instead, she just learned the power of faking it till you make it. And in later life, she had business cards printed with state registered nurse on them. <laughs> no one's going to know. Registered by. Got, yeah, got a business card, proves it. So... At some point during her time in the workhouse infirmary, she was first caught out for her dishonesty. She was um, told off for obtaining toothbrushes under fake pretenses. Sorry, under false pretenses. I don't know quite what that would... I see it means she was stealing toothbrushes, but just obtaining them under false pretenses. I've lost my toothbrush, can I have another? I've lost my toothbrush, can I have another? You have not lost any toothbrushes! (laughs) False pretenses! What kind of lie is she conjuring up for... We're doing a... An art project. We're we're making a a tree out of toothbrushes. I'll need 200. And then just flogging them on the side, possibly. That can only be that she was selling them. Yeah, surely. But it didn't get her fired. So maybe she hadn't gone quite whole scale with her toothbrush (laughs) franchise. Um, But by December 1924, she was forced to resign for a much more unforgivable crime. She had pretended to be a married woman. Good God. Like, steal all the toothbrushes you want, but pretend to be married. How fucking dare you? Yeah, surely it'd be worse if she pretended to be unmarried if she was married. I think what had happened was she was already known to her future husband. And I think it's likely that she'd been telling people they were married, but then Uh. they realised, actually, you're just having an affair and sexing about... Which was, I mean, like, and in the 20s, there were still jobs that if you were married, you weren't allowed to have. Like, Look, I've seen Call the Midwife. I know all about this shit. I have not seen Call the Midwife. <laughs> I don't think it's 20s. I don't like to be unnecessarily exposed to babies. So, yeah, so she was fired for that. So her future husband was Willoughby Leach. And I think she just wanted to make things seem legitimate. Why bother getting married when you can just say you're married? What? Yeah, just print a business card. <laughs> yeah. I got married in it. <laughs> but in 1925, when she was just 23 years old, she did marry Mr. Leach, despite him being over 20 years older than her. I mean, she was very horsey looking. <laughs> in that she looked like both like a horse and like she'd been kicked in the face by a horse. Oh, Yeah. There's nothing she could do about that. Not really. Her teeth are trying to escape her mouth. Um, one Says of- us of fucking beauties. <laughs> All right. I think you're attractive. <laughs> um, so you're a beautiful lady. <laughs> one source said that um, her husband, Willoughby Leach, was a barman. Another said that he was a sanitary pipe joiner. For what reason, I don't know. But either way, he would come home at the end of the day covered in shit, possibly. On her marriage certificate, she stepped up her airs and graces um, by upping her name again. Dorothea Nancy, that was the old her, the married woman. She listed her name as Dorothea Nancy Marilina Allen Chandler. Oh, God. They're just all of the names. She's not even taking his name. Well, that's what was her... As her maiden name, that's what she said it was. She also said that her father was a deceased practitioner. So it seemed like she was trying to build up this fantasy that, yes, I'm a fully registered nurse and I come from a family of medical professionals. And I have this fabulous name, Mr. Alan Chandler, Dr. Alan Chandler, don't you know? She was (laughs) definitely trying to catch him if she could. 
So the couple moved to West Bridgeford, which is quite a fashionable place um, in the Nottingham area, where Leach became ill and had to stop working. So she was having to nurse her husband and they also then had... A job, she's a registered nurse. Yeah. <laughs> and then she was also having to take care of the two young boys that they'd had. Oh, she just dropped those out. They plopped out quite quickly. <laughs> so because they were then struggling for income, Nancy decided to open up their house as a private nursing home to the elderly and the infirm. Oh, I can't think of anything worse. They'd be like, come to my house to die. Pretty much. <laughs> so this seemed to be going okay for a short while but 1929 nancy was in court for the non-payment of two dresses it's thought that she'd used bad checks to pay for them but she was only given a a probation for that so she obviously pleaded that she thought she had money in the account that she didn't so when she was uh, so she was on probation and then early in 1930 they were still struggling for money and nancy was before the magistrates again This time, she'd hired a housemaid um, to help look after the children and the house while she was nursing. But she'd stolen the nursemaid's watch and pawned it. And then, because she was still on probation for the dresses, she was sent to prison for three months. So, while Nancy's in prison, the nursing home that she was trying to run had to close It had a pretty shitty reputation anyway. (laughs) One star. Yeah, the standards weren't great. And then once you've heard that there's been a theft, you're not going to send your wealthy relatives to go to this private By the owner as well. Exactly. So her husband um, moved with the boys into some cheaper housing. When she was released um, properly, the family were close to being destitute and they had to downsize again and move into the city centre. 1931 she was trying to make money fast so this time she started forging post office withdrawal receipts so that she could claim the money and for this she was sentenced to two months hard labor so despite her husband being too ill to work she's now in and out of prison trying desperately to get money the two young boys that they're trying to raise, they still managed to find time to have sex and have another child. And they had a daughter that they welcomed into the family. I mean, when was that happening? He's on yeah. his deathbed. You've got young boys running around, no money, but oh, that's just got me in the mood. Uh, Do, people are always in the mood to have sex, aren't they? Yeah. Well, I, I suppose it, maybe it's like, you know... The best things in life are free. <laughs> well, he's in a deathbed. There's not much else he can do. We can't go to the theatre, so <laughs> let's just have some penis puppetry. Unless it's like, not his. Oh. Travel it away between the bars in prison. Between the bars. <laughs> so her husband, basically, at this point, he had malignant and cancerous glands on his neck. Her form of throat cancer. And his health continued to decline. And eventually he died on the 20th of July, 1933, which was actually his daughter's first birthday. Oh. Really sad. He was aged 56. Nancy took any opportunity to try and make things look better and with the death certificate said, it was actually only 49. (laughs) (laughs) Who gives a shit, Nancy? forging everything. Yeah. I don't think she knows how to tell the truth, to be honest. I think any time she gets to write something down, she's like, I'll just put whatever the fuck I want. No (laughs) one's going to know. So, I mean, the olden days, like you say to the little kids, the olden days were fucking mental. You could just write something down and it becomes fact. So, she decided once again to do what she knew and nurse some private patients in her home in order to earn a living. So now she had three young children and she set up her house in Haddon Street as an unregistered nursing home, which was legal at the time. I mean, all medical care was private. So you could just, if you want to pay for her, fuck it. Yeah. So um, the author, Stephen Morris of this book, he made some inquiries to a local paper, the Nottingham Evening Post, about if anyone knew nancy waddingham and knew this nursing home he's uh, very thorough he is and he had some responses where people recalled that 
who knew her at the time that she would boast of how high class her patients were. She said that she was treating members of the Cadbury family. I don't believe any shit she says. No. Um, and it said that she'd give out first aid boxes as housewarming gifts to new residents. Bullshit. And they surely all, they need one in their room anyway. Oh no, to like people on the street, not even in a house. If you moved into the area, she'd be like, hi, I'm Nancy. Have a first aid kit. Oh, great. For other bottle of wine, but thank you. Um, but it said that she was well liked by other people. And so much so that if she wanted a night out, she just asked some of her friends to babysit the patients for her. <laughs> you can babysit some old people for me. It's definitely dodgy. It's like that episode of The Inbetweeners that I hate when... They're like, he fancies a girl who works in a nursing home. She's like, yeah, you can all just come and help out on the night shift. That would never happen. You can't just babysit people in nursing homes. I assume you can't. I don't know. Like any kid doing work experience there, I swear to God. At this point, um, a Ronald Joseph Sullivan, more commonly just known as Joe, um, came onto the scene. He'd been a medical orderly during World War One, and he was now, as a civilian, struggling to get work. Um, Just put on your card that you're really, really famous I mean, he doctor. was actually medically trained, <laughs> at least basically. He'd been on the front lines, apparently, as a stretcher bearer. Um, and he started to, he became a lodger and an employee of Nancy because he would help with jobs around the house and the manual handling of the patient. So in 1934... Nancy actually took Sullivan's name and tried to let on that they... We're, we're married now. No, weirder, that they were siblings. What? Um, I think she thought it'll be people... There's a lie in this somewhere. Yeah. I think just like the two unmarried people living together, oh, okay. it's going to look dodgy. So she thought it's better if we say we're siblings. It's I'm not, Sullivan too, it's fine. It's not, it's weird. It Who got weirder. Exactly, and it got weirder because she did start shagging him. Oh, God. So she had to change the story. Because yeah, the neighbours are like, someone's shagging in there. <laughs> well, that's all the short they're brother and sister. They're really close. <laughs> so she then went back to her maiden name as Waddingham and said, yeah, okay, we're dating. Hands up. <laughs> and then she became the now infamous Nurse Waddingham. So eventually, um, her and her family, the patients of the nursing home, moved to 32 Devon Drive in Sherwood, um, but within the space of a few months, three patients died. Fuck. All of them were certified by a Dr. Manfield. Um, and it seems that these were just natural causes, unfortunate deaths. But this meant that if you lose three of your patients, that's three people that are paying you. Yeah. And their income dra- dropped dramatically. Yeah, so you kind of want to keep them alive, really. Yeah, you want to keep them going forever. So now they had... Um, they would had one patient left. So they thought their luck was changing. Um, there was a woman from a nursing association who was looking to place the two women in sort of cheaper accommodation. And they were 87-year-old Louisa Baguli. It's back Baguli. I want to call her Bagley. Baglady. Baguli. Baguli. Baguli is what I'm going to say. Check me. Yeah. It sounds better anyway. Like just if you're a baguli, call yourself baguli. So they were 87 year old Louisa and her daughter Ada. Now, Louisa had heart problems, and her daughter, of course, she was in her 50s, uh, much younger, but she was suffering from a muscular sclerosis, which was like getting progressive. Um, so she was becoming increasingly dependent on people to look after her. After a month of those two moving into the home, another patient died and meant that they were the only two residents that they had. So together they paid £3 a week, which was okay, but it wasn't enough because there was Nancy, Toy Boy Sullivan, she had three children, and then these two women. I assume she probably had another housemaid. Like It was tight. So Nurse Boddingham understood that though... um, they could only afford to pay this small weekly sum they did have another few thousand pounds in their bank and they were using the interest to pay their weekly amounts they had some they had a small fortune yeah but they were just using because they didn't know how long they were going to be alive and they were hoping obviously that ada in only in her 50s was going to be alive longer so they didn't want to spend that money and lose the interest yeah 
So Nurse Waddingham contacted the nursing association that had referred the women to her and said, look, I know they've got a load of money. Could that not just be transferred over to me? Because (laughs) I'm going to be looking after them for the rest of their lives. I should just have all the money now rather than them keep paying me once a week. They're not moving out. And they were pretty shocked that she suggested. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work like that. And promptly refused her. Um, they also asked the family. They had a nephew, a Lawrence Beguli, and they said to him too, you know, wouldn't it just seem much simpler if you gave us all of their money? Oh, no, he said, no, I'm not even going to discuss that with Louisa. It's not an issue. It's not going to happen. But Sullivan did take Ada on a day trip to the bank to withdraw £51 that she had of her own. And she gave all of it over to him. So Louise's nephew, Lawrence, he had been visiting. And then in April of 1935, he was going on a trip to Scotland and he wanted to say bye to them before he left. And he went to the house and Sullivan said, oh, you can't come in. They've all gone out to tea. They're not here. He was like, oh, okay, fine. I'll come back tomorrow. And he's like, well, actually, I'm lying. They just don't want to see you, which made no sense. They've been really close. So he went to Scotland anyway, and he wrote a letter to them. And then he received back a really odd reply. So he got this letter back. Dear Lawrence... I received your registered letter and can see by the letter you are still in Scotland, but I did not like you saying what you did about Joe, as he is kindness itself to me and my mother, and he is the only one what has done anything for us through all our trouble, and he is very upset about it. I'm sorry to say mother is very ill indeed, and it is thought that all this worry and talking that done it. So would you mind sending me your bill along, as I want to settle everything up, as you need not worry about me, as I am quite all right and comfortable and quite able to manage my own affairs, as the solicitors have got everything in hand and wants me to get all my bills in so I can get settled up. Hoping you are both keeping well. Best love, Ada. All one sentence. (laughs) I was going to say, there's no punctuation in that. There's no, it's not quite sure um, how eloquent Ada was. But because of her condition, she was not able to write the letters herself. Right. So she would have to dictate to Sullivan who would have written the letter for her. So it was in his handwriting and she would usually just sign her name. Yeah. But I would think that that's probably him with the dodgy grammar. Yeah. And the, oh, and okay, and send your bill. To be fair, it's better than some emails I get from parents sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> there was then a PS on the letter that was just directly from Joe Sullivan. And it said, PS, I should like to know what you mean about that chap you called Joe, has you called him. If ever you cross my path, you'll know what it means. There is always straightforwardness carried on here. And mark my word, we know what you've been trying to do. But if you're not careful, you will regret it. So keep your eyes open in future. And Miss Peguli is quite aware of me writing this. I mean, total gibberish. Yeah. In, in terms of threats, if you were face to face, you'd tune out halfway through. <laughs> <laughs> what you had said about me is basically trying to scare him off and also a little bit pissy. Yeah. So really, really weird. 28th of April, Nurse Waddingham and Sullivan had contacted the family solicitor of Louisa and Ada and tried to convince him to let Ada sign over all the money to them. He said, no, that's not going to happen. I won't allow it. So then they said, oh, well, actually, that's fine. But Ada wants to change her will. Which he did agree that obviously Ada can change her will if she wants. So when she initially had been, she'd left the majority of her inheritance to, she had a fiancé. But they were sort of drifting as she was getting worse. It was sort of like, they're obviously, we can't get married now. We're not going to yeah. have the future we want. But she still cared about him and he was the, her next of kin, in yeah. theory. But then she changed the will and now it left absolutely everything to Dorothea, Nancy Waddingham and Ronald Joseph Sullivan. It was witnessed by the solicitor on the 7th of May who reported that he didn't really seem that they were pressuring Ada. She seemed, well, Sullivan had obviously, and the solicitor had written it and she signed it, but he said that she seemed quite happy to do it, which she might have been. Like, just because it's morally wrong doesn't mean that she wasn't persuaded it was the right thing yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. 
So two days after the signing of this will, on the 9th of May, her, Ada's mother, Louisa, went into a coma. <sighs> like, leave it a week at least. Jesus Christ. And in a couple of days, she had passed away. So Dr. Manfield, who was the regular doctor of the home, he was involved with all things. He didn't actually see her on the day that he di- she died. But he knew that she'd been ill. He knew she had heart problems. And Nancy Waddingham had described what had happened. So he just was like, fine, I'll just write the death certificate anyway. Like, I, pre- I get it. Yeah. And he said the cause of death was cardiovascular degeneration. Which is pretty impressive that you can certify a death over the phone, but yeah. he managed it. Uh, a few months later, 10th of September, Ada was visited by an old family friend. She'd been pretty much under lock and key by Waddingham and Sullivan since her mother's death. Loads of people had been turned away. She wasn't seeing any family. But for some reason on this day, this particular family friend got through. Nurse, and she basically had a nice chat with her and she said she thought Ada looked really well considering that she was obviously ill and was pleased with it. Nurse Waddingham later would say that, well, on that day she had a really upset stomach from the her lunch of pork and steamed pudding and that visit really distressed her. Like she wasn't, it, <sighs> it messed things up. And that the next day Ada was dead. So Dr. Manfield, based on the description that Nancy Waddingham gave him, certified the death as cerebral hemorrhage, but again, didn't really perform any of his own examinations. So Nancy Waddingham then produced a letter from Ada that was dated two weeks previously in Sullivan's handwriting, again, of course, but just saying, oh, this is from Ada, trust me. (laughs) And it basically was a really short little note that said, that she wanted to have her body cremated for health reasons. What? I don't know what health reasons you can have after you're dead. Literally none. Like nothing. Health is... In, <laughs> yeah, is other people's a, health. Put it under the ground. But So said that she wanted to be cremated and then scribbled at the end, like sort of squished in. It said, oh, and I don't want any of my family to be told that I'm dead. What? And of yeah, course, that's a really weird thing for someone to ask. And it was witnessed by Sullivan. So at the time, cremation was really uncommon. So if you wanted to be cremated, you'd have to get it signed off by two doctors, your actual doctor plus an independent doctor. Um, and then it'd have to get taken to a cremation referee who would decide whether, okay, this is fine to do. So um, Manfield signed them said yeah fine he got another guy i think oliver or something in to sign it and they took all of the forms to this cremation referee at the crematorium referee um and this guy was a dr cyril banks and he was completely unhappy with the details of this death so for starters the manfield had signed these death certificates without actually examining the body not okay Second, that there was a letter requesting a cremation written in the handwriting of someone else who (laughs) was really close to her, not happy. And that the fact that this last sentence about, I don't want family to know I'm dead, was squished in. He thought, that's an afterthought. This is the sign of someone who is planning something and is sort of making it up as they go along. Yeah, for sure. So he requested a post-mortem. And while they were waiting, the detectives had gone to remove the body from the nursing home to... uh, mortuary the detectives are sort of asking Sullivan and Waddingham some questions and they began to, uh, began to be really curious about this couple when Waddingham initially said oh I'm his sister <laughs> then halfway through the conversation said oh well I'm the wife of his late brother what and then later on said well we're going to be married soon he was oh, like so something weird. fucked up is happening here I don't know what kind of incest fantasy she's having. Pick one story for the duration of the conversation. (laughs) Like she's so used to lying and she's changing every five minutes. This is the problem with, um, you know, not being allowed to say that you're just dating. Yeah. Because that would have been it. Just say you're dating. Or being able to just say, oh, he's gay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
No, they've got to pretend that, yeah, oh, I'm a bit in love with my brother. Because <laughs> that was better. <laughs> in the 20, 30s, apparently. So initially they checked for the cause of death, um, which on the death certificate was hemorrhage of the brain. And they inspected the brain and there was no sign of hemorrhage. The rest of her body did show poor care. She had a lot of bed sores, weeping bed sores that were not being treated. Her lungs showed sign of pneumonia setting in. And they also said that they checked for needle marks, hypodermic needle marks, because they would expect that with the sores she had and the things, they should have been giving her some sort of medication and they weren't. They basically dumped her in a bed and let her rot then. Yeah. So then they took away the organs to test them and the lab results showed really, really high levels of morphine, totaling 3.6 grains throughout her body. She'd only been dead for a few hours and when you have the grains of morphine, it sort of diffuses. So if they found 3.6, it meant that there would have been a lot it would have been higher than that. That would have been Whoa. given to her, maybe four or so. But that's the way I want to go, though. One, really high on morphine. So 3.6 grains were found. One eighth of a grain is not the normal dosage Shit. to give to a person. So they concluded that her death was a morphine overdose. Yeah. And they issued a search warrant of the nursing home. And then when they were there, they seized several bottles which were labelled as morphine sulfate from the house. And when they asked Nancy Waddingham about it, she said, oh, Dr. Manfield had given the empty bottles to my little boy to play with. <laughs> like, that's literally why they have the poison skull and crossbones on it, so that children don't think these bottles are fun playthings. <laughs> yes. um, meanwhile... They so are... what kind of game can you play with, like, empty glass bottles? Skittles? Well, they're going to smash. That's the worst one. Or, like, blowing the top of them. Oh, that is fun. Ooh. So, of course, when they found these irregularities, they decided to exhume Louisa's body too. And that was exhumed on the 30th of September. It was also concluded that she had died of an overdose of morphine. And Waddingham and Sullivan then admitted that, okay, there was a a previous patient who had been given morphine as a prescription, but... um, any leftover we gave back to Dr. Manfield or we destroyed it. And they were really trying to drop Manfield in it. But they were still tried for the murders. They were charged and they went to trial on the 24th of February in 1936 at Nottingham Assizes. So Sullivan went up first in the dock and Mr. Justice Goddard, the judge of this trial, decided oh, I that... I thought his name was Mr. Justice there, I realised. Yeah. <laughs> they were all the quarter. Um, and he just said, there's not enough evidence of Sullivan based on the fact pretty much that, well, there wasn't much evidence anyway than this. We know she's been poisoned. He basically said that Nancy Waddingham is the nurse. She's the one that's going to be giving the medication to the parents. Sullivan isn't the medicine giver. So therefore, what other evidence is there? And he was allowed to go free. No. He entered a plea of not guilty and he said, I'm not even going to let the jury have this decision because he's not the nurse. Sounds and like a misogynist go. to me. <laughs> Pretty much, like, oh, you looked after the patients. He was just moving them around. They were definitely in on it together. He signed everything. He exactly. wrote all the notes. But trying to prove that they conspired when both of them are saying it hasn't happened, how could you prove? It's difficult, yeah. but you just let him go. Um, so Waddingham then went up for Ada's murder. Did she start piping up saying he was in on it then? She pleaded not guilty, but she tried to say that everything was Dr. Manfield. Right. She could have, she probably would have done better if she'd have dropped Sullivan in it yeah. and said it was him. But she tried to put it on Manfield and he, she claimed he'd prescribed morphine tablets as pain relief for Ada. And the reason she'd not brought it up before was his, he'd made her not say anything. So he was trying to kill her and I was but just what the... would he have to go I was just it? the middleman. Exactly, it's bullshit anyway. <laughs> um, so in the end, it was sort of like her word against the doctor. He was saying, no, of course, that's not true. And then they obviously are more likely to believe the actual doctor. But also the fact that Lactual he has man. no motive, whereas she clearly does. Yeah. So the jury deliberated for two hours and 12 minutes before returning a guilty verdict. But they did give a recommendation for mercy 
because the death penalty would have been incurred, but they said, we recommend mercy, mainly due to the fact that she had such a young family left behind. But the judge was not having any of it. And she was sentenced to be hanged, which she was. She was the last woman to be hanged in Birmingham on the 16th of April, 1936. I do sort of feel bad for them. I don't, but I do. I don't because of the old woman having all the bed sores and the abuse. It's not like they took good care of her and then popped her off at the end. But it was definitely a murder because of poverty. Yeah. like, And she showed like with her other crimes, it's not like she was always in trouble because she was in desperate situations. Yeah. And she didn't know how to do anything about it. She had a husband who was sick and she was just doing anything she could. Yeah. Also don't have children though. Yeah. That's the bottom of this story. Don't have children and use whatever fucking name you like. Yeah. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.